You're listening to The Plug with Neil Griffith. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Plug Podcast with me, Neil Griffiths. After a few weeks off, like probably three to four weeks, we were in the UK for a family wedding, which was fun. But we're back now. We've actually recorded a bunch of episodes, which we're very excited to be releasing over the coming weeks and months. Before we get started, as we always do, if you haven't already, make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at theplug.podcast or head over to the official YouTube channel at theplug.podcast to watch full episodes. All right, let's kick off the new season. You'll know him from films like This Is The End, Knocked Up, Goon, and TV shows like Undeclared, Man Seeking Woman, and now the new Netflix series FUBAR, streaming from Friday, May 26th. My guest this week is Canadian actor, director, and screenwriter, Jay Baruchel. Jay came on the podcast this week to coincide with the release of FUBAR, which he stars alongside Arnold Schwarzenegger in, which is the action movie icon's first ever TV series. As well as discussing the new show and working with Arnie in FUBAR, Jay and I spoke about his love-hate relationship with LA, which if you've seen This Is The End, you should know about by now, and his new film Blackberry, which he's getting all kinds of rave reviews about, as well as the Axe George Miller Justice League that Jay was meant to star in some years back, and we look back at the past, and possible future of his work with comedy pals like Seth Rogen. Check it out. Here's Jay Baruchel on The Plug Podcast. All right. I'm I'm so stoked to welcome to the show. I'm a, such a big fan of this man and his work, especially in this new show. Jay Baruchel, welcome to The Plug Podcast, my friend. Thanks for having me. It's always rushed, these press junkets, when you like, it's straight in, get to the interview. So we're, we're meeting in real time. Indeed. As I mentioned, man, I'm, I'm such a huge fan of your work, so it's great to meet you, Thank you in person, but over Zoom at least. Thank you so much. I mean, I should start by apologizing, though, because I know you're on the, the press hustle right now. Obviously, your new film, Blackberry, which has just been getting ridiculously good reviews, uh. and now here with FUBAR. Um, I know the press hustle generally sucks, so I'm sorry about this. No, not, not at all. I'm very happy to be chatting with you. Um, I, I do want to ask about Blackberry. We'll get to that a bit later. But uh, first off, man, congratulations on Fubar. obviously. Thank you. I finished watching this yesterday. I know you've done a few interviews about it, uh. and you've caught it like, you know, it's just fun. It's goofy. It's full of action and comedy. And it's exactly that. I had so much fun watching it. Um, just to set it up. What was the timeline between filming this and Blackberry? Because I know they, they were both kind of filmed in Toronto, right? Or at least your parts. I, I shot both of them at the same time. Um, yeah. I, I, I was going from one to the other, um, which is like, uh, I think, part of the reason why in Blackberry I wear a wig and didn't dye my hair or something. Um, but like, yeah, there, were, there was literally uh, one week well, one week plus where I did, I did nine days consecutive. I, uh, I, the, we wrapped on Blackberry at like 11, 11 o'clock at night or something. And I was in Hamilton for, uh, uh, no, on Rackberry. Then I was in Toronto at, uh, like, yeah, 6 AM the next morning, uh, to do FUBAR. And then, uh, yeah. And then just went hard for, for nine days straight. So I was kind of jumping back and forth between the two and, um, yeah, just showing people on set photos of me in a gray wig and saying I'm making this fucking crazy little Canadian movie at the same time. And, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, I mean, obviously the big sell with this show is, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I want to get this right. It is his first 
leading role in a scripted live action TV series. <laughs> this is a very big deal, obviously. And that, well, that is, that's so specific. It, no it shit. His, it's his first TV show. Is, is that just not the easy way to say this? I, I think so, but I don't have to. I don't have to suffer the same emails. I suspect you do. So you've done your <laughs> yeah, job. Well, uh, you, your character in particular, has so many great scenes with with Arnie. Um, and so many like intimidating scenes like there's I'm not going to give any spoilers away there's a scene where where Arnold's character gives you a big pep talk there's another scene where you have to fucking work out with the man which seems wholly unfair terrible what was this filming like with with someone again you've mentioned him previously as kind of like the John Wayne of our time which is so accurate and mm. terrifying at how old we're all getting but <laughs> yeah. that is like a spot on example of what Arnold is in today's world. Yeah, he was my hero. He was the sort of gold standard of what a hero was meant to be. So when I was playing Cops and Robbers or G.I. Joe or whatever with my friends, um, he was the jumping off point for what a good guy is supposed to be. Um, So yeah, it was was absolutely crazy. Um, You know, you might get your sea legs, but you never get used to it. Uh, There's never a time where you just, for, for me anyway, where I was just like, oh yeah, there's a guy that I work with. Every single time, it's like, this is crazy. I must have said this is crazy a thousand times. To people on set, uh, when I'd get off of set, uh, people, how's it going? It's crazy. <laughs> um, and he's like, he's super cordial and accommodating and uh, really really lovely to be around. And, and um, you know, I, I, I had, you know, I tried to... I try to temper my expectations when I work with somebody, you know, that you know whom I, I, I'm a fan of, and I, you know, because like, just because I'm a fan of them doesn't mean, you know, that we're gonna get on like a house on fire or something. I, I, you know, and so I went in there with no expectations, and he constantly was like telling me that he liked what I did in the scene or the my my the last take was really good and. I don't know, he just like always took time out of his day to tell me that he dug what I was doing, um, which is like super cool. Um, the like training scene will always, always, always be uh, a, a chip on my shoulder uh, because, um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm hardly the uh, cover of men's health, but, but at the same time, like I, uh, I, I've, I've known how to throw a punch for a while, I did this, this little boxing movie in 2003 called Million Dollar Baby that uh, fared pretty well. And, uh, and never heard of it. Yeah, it's this little little indie thing with these upstarts, Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman. Um, I think they, their future is bright. But, um, but like, I just, like, I remember the director kept saying, make it worse. Throw your punches worse. Look goofier. Look goofier. And I, and so it was this, like, it was a hard thing because, you know, that's, that's what they hired me. They hired me to do that, and so I should just do the thing they hired me to do. But I was like, now, f- f- forever, anybody that sees that is going to think this is what I think a punch is supposed to look like. So <laughs> it, uh, yeah, that, that, that fucking sucked. You, you did mention Million Dollar Baby there. I mean, I guess you would have had some sort of preparation about being around film icons, Eastwood, Morgan Freeman. Yep. Yes, the idea of being around Schwarzenegger sounds terrifying in every sense of the word, but I guess you've had that experience, particularly early on. Like you mentioned, two thousand three million dollar baby came out, right? And those, yes, and those are actually similar because still to this day, like Clint Eastwood and Arnold Schwarzenegger are the only two guys I've ever worked with. I hate saying with; I'll just say four. It feels more <laughs> natural and real. 
I'm not working with them. Like, uh, let me pick your brain on something, uh, Clint. Like, come on, let's be, let's be realistic <laughs> here. But, but literally, those are the only two guys I've ever worked with for uh, that were my granddad still alive, he would have been impressed by. You know, like, I, I you know, I, I'm a huge Cronenberg fan, huge Cameron Crowe fan, Ben Stiller, Judd Apatow. I don't have to list my whole fucking filmography, but I've worked with some goodies, and my granddad didn't know who any of them were. But Granddad certainly knew who Clint was, and he certainly mm. knew who Arnold was. And so there is an added weight when, you know, I think my granddad's watching me, and I really don't want to make him look bad. It's weird as well, like, when we think about the switch of how it used to be all about the movies. There was TV famous, and then there was movie famous. They're now kind of simultaneous. Like, look at his counterpart in, like, Stallone. Stallone just did his first TV show last year as well. The two worlds are coming together in... They've already come together, right? Oh, for a long time, and I think the two forms borrow an increasing amount from one another. I, I think the sort of that line between television and cinema um, is getting thinner and blurrier by the day. I, I, I see television storytelling in cinema, and I see cinematic storytelling in television. And so um, at a certain point, they're going to kind of just be the same thing if they aren't already. And I, I don't know how this was even on YouTube. People are creepy. There was a, a video of Arnold giving, like, the FUBAR rap talk, and he made a point to say, like, out of everything he's done, this is the most fun he's had on a project oh. of anything he's ever done. And nice. I know that nice. the very little you've given in interviews about this show, you just said it was so much fucking fun to do. Yeah. Why is that? Because it's, like, a sort of, like, I don't know. Sometimes everybody is pleasant and wants to be pleasant and like you just have the right thing happening at the right time with the right people in the right place and you know Toronto in the summer is like a really spectacular beautiful place and um and what we were doing was a blast and and yeah, and, and, and we all got on pretty well, too, and everybody was able to bring their dogs and stuff, and so it was just this, like, I don't know, it was like a sincerely, like, lovely place to show up to work every day, you know, and the work itself was was super fun, too, and so it was just like, I don't know, um, sometimes everybody's crabby and worried and scared the whole time, and I'm sure, by the way, I'm sure there were people that were crabby and scared and worried the whole time on this one, but I, I, I just, like, I wasn't. <laughs> and so it was kind of just like, you know, we, the studio we shot it at, Pinewood, is like, you know, with traffic nine or ten minutes from my house in Toronto. And so, like, um, it was just the greatest kind of summer gig one could ask for. Putting Arnold aside, the like I said, you're coming off Blackberry. you got people like Monica Barbaro, who, who's come off Top Gun Maverick. Gabriel Luna, who has just come off The Last of Us. It's, I don't know if it's coincidence or fate that this project is coming out on the back of so many hits oh, for cool. so many of the cast members. That's cool. When you were filming this, did you think, like, oh, we have something very special here? Or was it just pure coincidence that all these amazing things have come out when they've come out? Somewhere in between, I think, you know? Like, yeah. I, I believed that we had... Um really good documents to start from with our scripts and that they and that they had the resources to scale what was on the page um, and I knew that the cast that they assembled was was pretty spectacular um, but you also never know for certain how a thing is going to turn out um, and certainly don't know what people are going to think of it either 
Um, but I had a feeling it would be more than the sum of its parts, and its parts were all pretty spectacular to begin with. And so, like, yeah, and everybody was scratching a different itch. Everybody was doing something different. And so it was like... And and then, you know, I get to know Monica, and I, and I quite like her. And then all of a sudden I get to be super proud of her as this, like, movie she did three years ago all of a sudden became, like, the biggest movie in the world. Ever. Yeah, <laughs> really, really cool, you know. So, I don't know, just a lot of kind of goodwill and uh, and people who enjoy each other's company. It sounds super hokey, but that's just mm. really, really what it was. Like I mentioned at the start, I've been a fan of yours probably since undeclared thanks man. and a lot of your a lot of your followers will know that you you've had a for a, a lack of a better term a love-hate relationship with the hollywood la lifestyle mm. when on that timeline between undeclared and this show did it really kind of kick in that oh you know what this place isn't for me canada's definitely for me yeah i mean i felt that the whole time if i'm being right. completely honest which is and that's and that's not a I hesitate to qualify and rank. Nothing is definitively good or definitively bad, you know, you know, objectively. Like, it's all just preference and what one needs out of where they are. But um, it was never, I, I was never going to move to, from Canada. And, and, I, and, I, and I didn't want to move to Britain either or, or anywhere, you know. I, 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 I love where I'm from, and so anytime I left, I always knew it was a matter of time. Um, and then at a certain point, I realized that I, I just had the sort of the space and the means to kind of just full-on be back home full-time. And, yeah. uh, and I'm really proud of that, and I'm proud that I've been able to help get stuff going in Toronto and three seasons of Man Seeking Woman and... and uh, you know, and, and now uh, my mom and stepdad are there, and now my sister and her husband and their kid are there. And so all of my family is back in the same city for the first time in over a decade. It just is a city that none of us have ever been, spent time in before, but we all quite like it. And so I, um, but yeah, so it, I always knew that, and, and I, and I want to also say, like, I'm aware of how fortunate I am to have the career that I've had and to keep getting the opportunities that I've gotten. Um, but if the question is, when did I know that I would prefer to live back home? I always knew it. I love you told a story recently as well that, like, back in the beginning, you were in Seth Rogen's apartment and you guys were smoking together. And he talked about how he wanted to make these great big Hollywood films. And you said, I want to make full indie Canadian films. And you're both fucking doing it. Yeah, That's I know. It's kind cool. of insane, right? It's really cool. Every once in a while, I think about those. Thanks for mentioning that. Because I think about conversations like that. Like, I was talking to um, talking my friend Will Reiser about this thing, too. And just how neat it is when we all remember when we were, like... I don't want to say like nobody, but we were just like it was all aspiration. It was all dreams, man. If I had, if I get my way, this is what I want to do. Well, to like flash forward, you know, two decades, and for it to kind of be what we said it would be is pretty cool, you know. Like, yeah, I've I've been lucky enough to direct two features, indie features in Canada, and Seth's been lucky enough to to direct uh, two or three uh, features down here, and and. Uh, yeah, so it's really neat. Yeah, we I I remember that conversation very 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 well. So yeah, it's pretty cool to think the career you have had. Like you know, we we mentioned Million Dollar Baby. You're now in this show alongside arguably the biggest action star of, ever. Well, ever. You then, but then you've done stuff like Man Seeking Woman, 
you've done a, a giant DreamWorks franchise in How to Train Your Dragon, then you go and do your directorial debut with Goon 2, which if whoever is listening hasn't seen Goon 1 or 2, I hate you. <laughs> That's kind of the dream, right? Like Thanks, you're, you're able to dip your toe into the, the Hollywood pool, but then come out kind of whenever you want to do the things you, you are incredibly passionate about, while also still doing these giant projects with some of the biggest names of our industry. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I ha I'm very, very proud. I'm very, very proud. Yeah. I, I've been uh, very fortunate in, in that respect. Um, you know, and, and, uh, and, I, and I always um, made sure, and, and thank you for the kind words, uh, uh, but I, I always made sure that I wanted to make the most of um, whatever experience I was having, and, and, and that doesn't mean what can I, how can I make this work for me. What it means is, all I've wanted to do my entire life is is write and direct movies, and if my acting gets me within striking distance of Eastwood or Cronenberg or Roger Avery or Cameron Crowe or Ben Stiller um, or, or Lona Scherfig, and I get to sort of watch their process, it, it's the greatest thing in the world. And so, so every time I did an American thing, I was also just kind of being a sponge and, and trying my best to absorb and, and, and to shadow, you know, and, and spending, you know, I still, I'm haunted by two weeks in Sydney with, at Kennedy Miller with, with George Miller on Justice League on the movie that never happened, but like, and had it happened, I just want to say, had it happened, he told me he wanted me to shadow him. He wanted me to be there every day on set for six months, um, which is like, and it didn't happen, so it's like, it sucks, but... I there's my there there is an alternate reality where I got an apprenticeship under George Miller and that was that would have been super cool. So you were in Sydney for two weeks. I was, yeah. Wow. I was in Sydney for two weeks, and then the actors uh, uh, playing uh, uh, Batman and Superman um, were there for uh, my friend DJ Catrona was going to be Superman. Um, yeah. Yeah. They they had been there training for two months at that point, um, wow. and uh, yeah, there was like. There was a shitload of uh, concept art, pre-vis, costumes, um, and, and what's interesting is a lot of it has been kind of cannibalized into, uh, mm. into other DC sort of iterations, like the kind of, the Henry Cavill Superman suit owes a lot to the suit that DJ was going to wear in Justice League, which is where right. you look up close to it and there's all this sort of um, delicate, really small Kryptonian uh, writing yeah. on it, you know, and that, that was... The, in our thing first and uh so there's a sort of a lot of kind of aesthetic uh and philosophical concepts that dc has been has put into their stuff that was like born at kennedy miller my only memory of that and i don't even know if it was a rumor was that adam brody was meant to be green lantern he was going to be one of the two flash there's like there was like uh, he was right. going to be barry and um and anton yelchin was going to be wally and you were going to be Max Lord, Maxwell Lord. I was going to be yeah. the the friggin' villain of the whole thing. Me and uh, and and Teresa Palmer, she was going to be Talia Al Ghul, and I was going to be Maxwell Lord. And and um, and the and and this version of Lord that we had that like George Miller and I had started just starting to kind of articulate. Mm. Would have been super cool. Would have been super super cool. Megan Gale as Wonder Woman, like there there like. Uh, uh, Green Lantern was going to be common. That was going to be common. Was going to play right. Green Lantern. Okay. Oh, yeah. Shit. Yeah. Is this? Could you still not like speak to George? Like, is it is it weird to like text him and be like? I don't have his info, questions? but but I right. but but he was a guy that like 
was always, always, always had all the time in the world for me and for, for anybody that wanted to ask him things, you know. And so, like, you know, I, I mentioned the shadow thing, the shadowing him thing, because um, as we were getting ready to leave Australia to go home for Christmas, all the other kids, they were planning out their, their sort of their, their housing situation in Sydney, you know, and they were all going to have to be there for half a year, and they were all, and then, so I remember asking the producer, so, kind of similar thing for me, and she was like, well, you're only in 12 scenes, and so we don't know, you're going to be going back and forth, and so I just, like, I asked George, like, am I going to go back and forth, or would you rather me hear the whole time? He's like, I want you to hear, hear the whole time, because I want you to shadow me like Mel did on Thunderdome. <laughs> Which is like, bro, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, like, Road Warrior is like one of the first films my parents ever showed me. That it that it yeah. it is it is um, at, at mythos level in my origin story. It it is I remember because my parents I'm very lucky showed me a lot of movies and would often give me a sort of film 101 before it and before mm. that one was one of the most passionate ones where they both talked about it and my mother sort of set up the entire world and explained what it is and why this is important and why she cares about this and why this is special and how even though it doesn't look like it, this is science fiction and, and all this different stuff. And so, like, you know, that my, my like, Fableman's moment, one of them is, is Road Warrior at home with my folks when I was, like, eight or nine. And so, wow. and I was playing a guy called Max. So fucking George Miller was calling me Max. It was you need to build that relationship. Crazy, absolutely crazy. You surely know a guy who knows George Miller. <laughs> I know I his do. son. I don't even know how I know his son. <laughs> I know DJ Catronos kept in contact with him. I know he had him out there in uh, Austin a few years ago, and he got to have dinner with him. Um, but yeah, I, I he's a person that I have a great deal of affection for. Even if I never met him, he'd have been like. He made a movie that is everything to me. So on top of the mm -hmm. fact that, you know, he's an, a, a, an impossibly lovely man is just like, it's, it's, it's the greatest. Yeah. And I, I mentioned, I'm mentioning interviews that I've just seen recently of yours. And there was another one uh, with, the, with the CDC, the Canadian. Oh, CBC. Yeah. Canadian broadcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you kind of mentioned like you when you left LA and you said, you know, it could have gone either way. Like if you stayed, it could have gotten bad. Is there a world where we think about like the Jay, the Jay Baruchel from say this is the end that could have become very cynical? Like imagine if this DC thing kicked off. Imagine if you did twelve this is the ends in a row. Imagine if you did five Fubars in a row. Yeah. Would there would a cynical douchebag LA Jay Baruchel ever exist? Do you think, or was there never a chance that you would ever sink into that LA sinkhole? I have no, you know, I I look. I would like to think that. <laughs> I would be at least a version of the same guy, you know, yeah. um, because I, there's, there's a, there's a quote in the documentary overnight about Boondock Saints, Troy Duffy, you know, which is to me, like anybody who's interested in making movies should watch that movie. That is like the best kind of movie about development that I've ever seen. And there's a quote that I'm paraphrasing, which says people think fame and money changes you, but it merely acts as a truth agent unleashing what was always inside you. So so I'd like to think that, like, uh, I'd have kept my shit together um, because, um, yeah, I always had obligations. I, 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 I never had a Scrooge McDuck fucking pool full of gold coins, you know. There was always something to care about or worry about. Um, I think, if anything, I'd just be, I don't know, I'd be psyched to, I, I, I'd be psyched to have worked that much, I think. But, uh, um, 
you know, I think, but but I think like one can get just as jaded or, or cynical sitting in fucking Toronto about about anything, you know. So I I, cool. I think jade jadedness and cynicism is is about um, to me, it seems to be when you let parts of yourself go to pot. When you don't, yeah. you don't check in, and you don't sort of, you know, re up, and and don't try to evolve, and 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 hopefully I learn lessons every year that I didn't learn the year before. Like I would like to think, but but who 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 fucking knows? I I, I could be a huge arsehole. Yeah. Maybe I am a huge arsehole. <laughs> well, you think back to to those early years again, undeclared, like knocked up. That that group of friends is you, Rogan, yeah. Jason Siegel, Jonah Hill, Martin Starr. Yeah. Who of all five of you have gone to on such different and unique and crazy and wild and awesome things? What what was that? Knocked up two thousand seven. Fifteen like years later, that, like that that you'd be here talking about a Schwarzenegger show in the middle of a press tour for this great Canadian film, which again I haven't seen, so I can't fake pep talky. But the reviews are just out of this world. For yeah, it's pretty crazy. No, I certainly not. Certainly not. No, I. I I've never had any assumptions about my career as an actor. Mm. What what I have had is, and this is this is where I and I'm allowed to say this because it just sounds crazy. Doesn't more than vain, which is, uh, I've also, so I've never had any assumptions about my career as an actor. Ne never taken anything for granted, uh, but I've always, 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 always known that I would write and direct horror movies and action movies in Canada, and uh, so so. So that so it's this thing where like um, I knew I would get to that point. I just knew I knew that that's what I was here for, regardless of scale or attention or what people thought of them or, you know, like if you if you if you time travel, to uh, which would be such a shitty use of time travel if you went back to talk to me <laughs> when I was seventeen. But if you could, be a bunch of other stuff. I'd be pretty low on the list of priorities. Um, cool. But if there was no triage. <laughs> Um, and, and, and one was to go back in time and talk to me at 17 or 18 before I booked Undeclared. Um, I'd have assumed that my child acting career that started in 1995, um, which was starting to kind of dry up at that point, um, because I was no longer a cute kid and I was by no definition a sort of man. Um, and so I always assumed that I would act till I was about 18 Hopefully, I'd save some. I will have. I would have saved some money, um, and then I would either find a kind of film school to go to, um, or live off whatever money I had saved until I had to get a normal job, um, and then just write screenplays and try to get sort of be straight to video horror movies going. That that was my my goal was to make straight to video horror movies in in Montreal for the rest of my life, um, and so seventeen eighteen like when I booked undeclared. All I was doing was reading prospectuses from film schools in England and mm. stuff. And, uh, you know, and so I, I was excited to get out. I was excited to go to a place where nobody knew who I was from because um, I'd been on TV in Canada, like I said, since I was 12. Um, and, but like the, the, the sort of like the scale that my family lived at uh, didn't, didn't sort of increase. So um, the only difference is like I was still taking the metro on the bus every day. The only difference is a bunch of kids recognized me and would like fucking jump me and mug me and shit and so i was like psyched to go to a place where nobody knew me and kind of do the thing i'd always wanted to do and been learning about on set since i was 12 right um so the idea that i'd ever be working still as an actor 
and and down here was like just out of the realm of possibility. So by the time Knocked Up came around, I was like, if you ask me where where are you going to be in in 2023, I'd be like, probably back home making movies that nobody sees. <laughs> but it's funny that that's why people always will ask you the questions like, what are you going to work with Seth Rogen again? Because <laughs> At least, from my opinion, you're part of that comedy rat pack that had just contributed to so many good comedy projects in the 2000s. And for people who don't know, again, like Goon, for example, you wrote that with Evan Goldberg, Goldberg Seth's yeah. writing partner. Yeah. Is that the relationship you have with them now where it's kind of like, I love you called it cousins recently. It's like distant cousins, but can you pick up the phone? If you had an idea, can you call them or can they call you? And it's as simple as that. Yeah. I, I, yeah I, yes, we could. I don't know that we would um right. I, because like you know it, it's like this it's like um my little sister can you know even though i'm 41 and she is now 37 or 36 um she can still annoy the fuck out of me and make me you know and, you know and make me feel like i'm back at the supper table when i was you know 10 or whatever and so we're both, we're all, you know, in our forties, but I also like, I don't know. I, I don't know that I, I don't know that we would, but what we do do is, uh, no matter what, there's probably like four times a year where, um, either Seth or me will like remember something stupid that happened or, or, or something that was like a catchphrase between us or like a weird inside joke. And we will just sort of text that to each other in isolation it'll get a response and that'll be that. <laughs> and so it's like, you know, there are voice messages of just like, I was like, what was it that the country bears saying something sure as you're born? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, uh, and then, and then he'll send me the fucking voice memo of it. And then, and then we won't speak for another seven months. Yeah. Wow. I mean, this is, that's why one of the reasons I love FUBAR is that you're still flexing the comedy chops. I know that you've got so much going on, particularly in the drama. And as you mentioned, the horror world, um, if you're going to make more Canadian content, let's just do more comedy. That's all I'm asking. For. All right. Let's all right. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you, my friend. Very nice of you to say, well, my friend, Michael Dowse, who directed, uh, Goon, uh, and it's all gone Pete Tong and, and FUBAR, the Canadian FUBAR, uh, you know, did you know that there's a, what, you know, what FUBAR is back home? I've, I've heard of it. I yeah. haven't seen it, but I'm not going to lie. So there's a FUBAR and FUBAR 2 and a TV show and, and Dowse did directed all of it. Um, he just sent me a script. So, um, so he and I might be working on something together next year. So we'll see. That's awesome. Well, let's do it again soon. then. Jay, thank you so much for coming on man again. Thank I'm you. such a fan. It was great to meet you. Hey, cheers. Congratulations on this and, and for what's to come, man. Hey, cheers, man. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. To watch full episodes of The Plug Podcast, head over to the official YouTube page at theplug.podcast and hit the subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the video content. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at theplug.podcast for all episode announcers, teasers, and giveaways.